Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, October 12th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news, and in the mailbag, we'll answer some listener emails. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. So uh, it seems like news has kind of slowed down in a big way, uh, which is why we're doing a bunch of news in mailbag episodes, a combination of news and mailbag. Uh, but let's let's jump into the news and let's start off with uh, Wu-Tang Clan is getting their own Hulu dramatic television series. Uh, yes, yes, that is correct. So Wu-Tang and American Saga is a, a new TV show that is coming to Hulu, and it's not a documentary series, but instead it's a 10-episode drama that is going to explore and expand the world of the Wu-Tang Clan, which is the influential hip-hop group that's been around since uh, at least the early 90s. And um, Alex Say, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, T-S-E, uh, is the one of the creators of the show, along with the RZA, who is one of the founders of Wu-Tang Clan and uh, a filmmaker in his own right. And uh, they have sort of uh, teamed up to write the first episode of this, at least. Uh, that's that's basically all we know. They, they create and wrote the show. Um, Alex Say is responsible for the new Superfly movie. He also wrote uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen film. And uh, the RZA has directed movies like The Man in the, uh, with the Iron Fists and Cutthroat City, I think, which is coming out pretty soon. And the uh, yeah, the, the official synopsis is Wu-Tang Clan, uh, an American saga that's inspired by the Wu-Tang Manual and Tao of Wu and based on the true story of the Wu-Tang Clan set in early 90s New York at the height of the crack cocaine epi- epidemic. The show tracks the clan's formation, a vision of Bobby Diggs, a.k.a. the RZA, who strives to unite a dozen young black men that are torn between music and crime, but eventually rise to become the unlikeliest of American success stories. Huh. That actually sounds like something I would want to see. Uh, unexpectedly, I, I, you know, when, uh, hearing this headline, I was like, do we really need a Wooten clan? Uh, I, I guess this is a, this is just like one season. This is like an anthology series, right? 
Yeah, they they said ten episodes right now. I mean, I guess theoretically they could they keep could kick going. it to another season and keep it going. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I'm sort of surprised that they're taking like the uh, the dramatic approach and adapting their story instead of just doing like a more of a straightforward documentary kind of thing. Because um, Brian Grazer, uh, the guy who uh, co-founded Imagine Entertainment with Ron Howard, is executive producing this, and I think he has done a, a bunch of documentaries in the past. I think there's one on the Beatles recently that he did. So. I was sort of expecting it to be a similar kind of thing but this is a yeah. it's it's you know they're gonna have to cast people to play them and uh it's gonna be more like a like a straight out of compton kind of thing i guess well yeah straight, straight out of compton was a a big success uh was that um didn't they have a biggie series recently was there a series? I, I think there was. I think there was a movie like a few years ago, and then they did a Tupac movie last yeah, yeah, year, yeah, or maybe yeah, yeah. early that, that's this what, year. That's what I'm confusing myself with. I, I don't remember those being as successful as Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, but... Straight Outta Compton. I, I just wrote an article that uh, I was talking about the potential box office for Bohemian Rhapsody, and I found out that Straight Outta Compton. I think it opened with sixty million dollars in its opening weekend, which is the highest opening weekend of any music biopic ever. And um, so, yeah, that one is uh, is far and away, you know, one of the more successful ones out there. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, let's move into Marvel Town and let's talk about Black Panther 2. We had known that this is in development, but now we know who is going to write and direct this movie. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, you'll never guess this. You, you could have never seen this coming. Wait, 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 wrong. wait. J- James Gunn? No. Take correct. Exactly. <laughs> The, the correct answer is Ryan Coogler, who, of course, uh, co-wrote and directed the first film. Um, this is like a no-brainer. I mean, we'd all assumed it was going to happen. Uh, Kevin Feige said, you know, he wants Ryan Coogler to come back. But uh, the difference was, unlike some other Marvel films where, the, you know, the director usually announces before the film even comes out that he's directing the sequel – uh, Ryan Coogler was being a little um, standoffish. He didn't commit to it. He didn't say, you know, if he was going to do it or not. He sort of deflected the question. But now we know it's official. He's definitely coming back to uh, write and direct the film. Um, he's going to, the story goes that he's going to start writing it next year and they'll probably start shooting by 2020. I mean, this is a good sign because uh, Coogler, I think, is instrumental in making that a success. That first film a success, uh, it's so much so that Disney is going to be, you know, presenting it for award consideration, which is interesting because Disney has three Marvel movies. Uh, are they going to be also championing Ant Man and the Wasp and Avengers: Infinity War for award season as well? Ben, what do we know? Well, we actually know that Disney is right now planning only to campaign one Oscar for uh, Avengers Infinity War, and that is the visual effects Oscar. And it sort of makes sense. They did a terrific job with Thanos. I put together this whole video essay of uh, or like a documentary kind of thing of how uh, the the different visual effects teams created that character. And um, the visual effects in Avengers Infinity War are, are really impressive. The interesting thing about this is Black Panther is the one that Disney is really pushing Um, for that film. They are going to be asking voters to consider Black Panther for best picture, best director, best adapted screenplay, best actor, best supporting actor, best supporting actress, cinematography, film editing, production design, costume design, (laughs) makeup and hairstyling, sound mixing, sound editing, visual effects, original score and best original song. So basically like the entire gamut of every award possible. Uh, And on the other side, the flip side of that, Infinity War is only going for visual effects. So 
I'm not an awards season um like you know there are people who devote their entire careers to studying award season i'm certainly not one of those people but to me this sort of seems like disney doesn't want to potentially split the vote um so they're they're putting all of their eggs in black panther's basket uh maybe because they know that that movie was more of a, a i mean even, even though uh, avengers infinity war was more financially successful i think black panther is more of like a uh, um a cultural uh touchstone yeah. for people yeah and i think that um that there is a lot of uh, a groundswell of support around that movie in particular winning a bunch of awards um just to reward the the efforts of ryan coogler and his team for putting together that movie in in such a, a phenomenal way so um you know if they were to push uh, everything that they had done this year, those three Marvel movies that you mentioned equally, then there's a chance that voters could be like, you know what? I really like the production design in Infinity War, so I'm going to vote for that instead. Whereas um, them sort of giving the the big concentration on Black Panther tends to, or I, I guess could bode better for that film overall in the long run. Yeah, I think you are correct there. I, I'm still skeptical of if the Academy, which is largely older white males are going to you know you know i mean the dark knight notoriously got snubbed uh which has caused you know years and years of us fluctuating between how many best picture nominees uh happen at the academy awards so i'm just wondering do you think there's actually a chance that black panther will take any of these i i certainly think so i think especially like the you know costumes and hair and makeup and stuff like personally i think the movie is good enough to win or at least be nominated for you know a screenplay and and maybe even best picture and best director um but because a lot of times especially in the wake of dark knight i feel like the the geek community in particular has been like Anytime a superhero movie has come close to being good, you know, there's been a a small contingent that has been like really hoping that it would get, you know, a movie would get nominated for Best Picture or something. I feel like Black Panther is one of the ones, one of the rare entries recently that actually deserves those accolades. So um, I I don't know what Chris, what do you think? I am almost positive it's going to get nominated for Best Picture. I don't think it'll win, but I am I'm going to say I'm 99.9 percent sure this is going to get a best picture nomination it won't win but it will get nominated we'll see i i think a nomination for best best picture would be a, a huge win for for comic book movies and for marvel and disney um but let's move on speaking of disney uh they released the first teaser trailer for the live action adaptation of aladdin last night uh, this is uh, directed by Guy Ritchie, and this is uh, a adaptation of the animated classic that we all grew up on. And I thought we'd do a quick reaction. You can watch this trailer on SlashFilm.com uh, or you know, just search for a Latin, uh teaser trailer. Although, that might bring up the animated movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, just go to SlashFilm.com. Uh, so, uh, I'll start things off. I am... Surprised at how little they show in this this teaser trailer, guys. It, it's uh, I was expecting to see the genie. We don't see a genie. We see the lamp. We see Aladdin. Uh, we might even see some other characters in the background. Uh, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I I was kind of um not expecting to uh, for my nostalgia to kind of uh be sucked into this, but seeing. The, this look these this world and these locations and these characters brought 
to live action, it, it really like got me interested in seeing this film, uh, even though it's probably totally unneeded and unnecessary. Uh, Chris, what what, were, what is your reaction? Uh, <laughs> it, it looked shockingly fake to me. Like nothing in this trailer looks real except, you know, the actor playing Aladdin, obviously, but everything else. Oh, it, it, look, it looks like Jungle Book. It looks like yeah, fantastical. It, yeah. It, yeah, it looks very CGI-y. And that just, you know, that begs the question, why make this quote-unquote live action if everything is going to look fake? Like, you know, it, it made a sort of sense for the Jungle Book because, you know, it was a, a human character interacting with you know, 99% animals and you know all that stuff so that made a sort of sense and you know the same thing goes with the you know the upcoming lion king movie which obviously we haven't seen anything of yet but i understand why they're doing that but if you're gonna make a live action remake you know build some sets don't don't just throw this actor in front of a green screen it just seems lazy to me but i don't know but it's also way too early to tell like you i was expecting more at the very least i was expecting you know, to hear Will Smith at the end say something, but like none of that, you know, so uh, I, I don't know, you know, again, it doesn't come out for a full year. So there's plenty of time for a better look at it. But for now, this is a bit underwhelming to me. Ben, what is your relationship with Aladdin? And uh, what did you think of this teaser trailer? I think Aladdin, I mean, it's up there in my top, you know, two or three uh, favorite uh, Disney animated movies. So I, I really, really love that film. And, um, I was sort of the same as Chris. I thought that I was I was surprised at how fake everything looked in this. Um, I don't think this should happen at all. But, you know, I basically came to grips with the fact that uh, Disney is going to be doing this years ago. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get over that. And uh, I I feel like the genie is going to have so much CG or, or it's going to be such a drastic a look for that character that they weren't ready to unveil that at this point. I, I feel like if they that that's got to be something that they have to be so careful doing because Will Smith as a genie is going to be a big selling point for Disney, but it's also going to be one of the things that the diehard fans of the original movie are the most um, <laughs> concerned about because Robin Williams portrayal of that character was so iconic. So they have to be super careful and, and very, um, you know, uh, I guess, tactful with how they make that reveal because if they do it too early and the cg isn't you know exactly the way it's going to look in the movie and people jump all over it that could be bad buzz that that they don't want so i I have a feeling that it's going to be a long time before we actually get a, a real good look at that character we were debating in our slack channel yesterday about whether or not they were even gonna ever show a still a still image of Will Smith as the genie just because it might be easier for fans to um, accept that character seeing him, you know, actually move around in action instead of just like speculating about what the movement could look like and all that stuff. So it's a weird mix that Disney has to strike here. I I guess for this teaser in particular, I'm there's really nothing to even go on in terms of it's basically just a mood piece. And they've done this before with Beauty and the Beast and and other movies too. So um, I'm interested to see what their first trailer looks like, because I'm guessing that the genie is not even going to factor into that one too much. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I love, even though it's CG, I love the fantastical epic uh, visual vibe that they're going for, and you know, as a person who wasn't a fan of the CG and Beauty and the Beast, I don't know. 
I got I got to disagree with you guys. Uh, but let's but you can check out this trailer for yourself on slashfilm.com. Uh, let's move on to Daredevil season three. Uh, this is coming out on Netflix. Chris, you uh, jumped in and did a review for the site. Uh, we don't want to do any like spoilers or anything. Uh, but actually, first of all, what is your relationship with this uh, franchise? Um, I, I like Daredevil for the most part. I liked the first season. I thought the second season was great with, um, you know, where they added the Punisher into the mix and Electra. So that season was very good. So, you know, uh, of all the Netflix shows, I think all the Netflix Marvel shows, I think Daredevil and Jessica Jones are the two I really like, even though I thought the, the second season of Jessica Jones was a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah. I'm in agreement that Daredevil is the best, uh, of the, that, that, um, that whole group uh so what did you think of season three how did it compare with the first two seasons it's it's definitely not as good as uh season two um and it's not really even as good as season one it it feels like a bit of a weird step backwards it almost feels like they're sort of rebooting the show in a sense i mean this isn't really a spoiler because it's all over the advertising but like uh, Matt Murdock, he goes back to, you know, that that black suit he wore almost for the entire first season. He, uh, you know, at the end of the the spinoff series, The Defenders, he everyone thought Daredevil was dead, but he was really just injured. So a big chunk of this season is about him, like, becoming Daredevil again. And it's really weird. It, it feels like they're almost just starting from scratch for some reason. Like, they're going back and they're bringing the Kingpin back. You know, all the all the stuff that happened in the first season is sort of happening again. And I'm not really sure what the decision was behind that. Like, it, it seems like they had a meeting at some point and we're like, we need to start fresh for some reason. And so here we are. Which is weird because most people I know like the second season more than the first. Maybe because of the addition of Punisher. Um, I don't know. It was just an overall better uh, story, I think. But uh, I know a lot of fans did not like that red suit that he was wearing in the second season. And now he's gone back to the, uh, you know, simpler times, but, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I never, I never had a problem with the blacks. I feel I, the red suit. I feel like there's literally no way to make that look good in live action. Like there's, it's like impossible. And I feel like they did the best they could with it. I mean, it certainly looked better than what Ben Affleck wore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well you can read Chris's whole review on slash We'll link it in the show notes. Uh, let's move on to the mailbag. Let's jump into a couple emails that we have received yesterday on the podcast. I wondered out loud if there had been an actor who had been both had been in both DCEU and the MCU simultaneously. Um, a couple people responded with examples. Kyle said that uh, Lawrence Fishburne uh, was Perry White in DC and Bill Foster in Marvel. Although that's not really at the same time, it is a little bit of a smaller role there. Damon writes in that Jaiman Hansu, he who plays Koroth in Guardians of the Galaxy, he is returning in Captain Marvel because that's a, a prequel. But he was he's also an Aquaman. I think that's probably the best example we can find. But even that is like a you know relatively small side character. I think um, isn't he in? Um shazam too i think he's actually playing the wizard in shazam or maybe i'm completely wrong but i could have swore i read that so maybe i think you're right about that or at least he was at one point i don't remember if he actually made it into the shazam trailer i just googled it and it says yeah he is playing the wizard so that's like a that's a three three fur he's doing multiple films 
that that is so weird so maybe there isn't something in the contracts at least not for like the supporting players but i'm wondering if you are like you know a name star if you're captain marvel if you're playing uh captain america you know, if you have a captain in your name, <laughs> if, if you have a stipulation in your contract that you can't play a superhero elsewhere or at least in a, in a Warner Brothers DC film. Uh, but I, I doubt that we'll ever get a look at those contracts and know if that's the case or not. But I'm curious. Uh, but let's move on to another uh, letter. David C. from California writes in asking if there is a movie song or soundtrack that uh, we like. Uh, that comes from a movie that we don't like. Uh, I will start this off. Uh, The 1998 Godzilla soundtrack is uh, amazing. I mean, it's mostly filled. It's it's like almost any of the 1990s soundtrack. It's filled with uh, songs from like alternate alternative bands doing cover songs uh, of other things. Like there's this great uh, Green Day song on there. There's a uh, Puff Daddy song uh, covering... um, Oh my God! What, what, what Led Zeppelin? Led Zeppelin, which I I don't know. I I just love that whole soundtrack, but the movie is kind of crap. Um, Chris, how about you? Uh, mine is a score, so it's not songs, but I love uh, Hans Zimmer's Man of Steel uh, score. I think that's actually like one of the best movie scores of all time, and I think Man of Steel itself is a bad movie, but I love that score. I listen to it all the time it's just fantastic yeah it's it's filled with emotion ben how about you uh the space jam soundtrack immediately comes to mind uh i I really enjoy a lot of the songs on that uh especially i believe i can fly i mean that was one i mean space (laughs) jam came out like right in the in the perfect time for when i was a kid and i you know i enjoyed that movie at the time and looking back on it uh recently the movie is pretty bad but i I still have a lot of fondness for some of the songs on that soundtrack so i think that one kind of qualifies uh, I, I have another a couple other entries listed here. Uh, there's a song from the movie Eurotrip called Scotty Doesn't Know. And some of you probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I think Mike Ryan over at Uproxx actually just did a, a complete oral history of that song. So if you if you know what I'm talking about and you're interested, maybe check that out because uh, it was pretty entertaining to wait, read. But Wait a second. So you, you're saying Eurotrip's a bad movie? I'm saying that Eurotrip is a completely forgettable movie, and Scotty doesn't know is the most memorable thing about it. And I enjoyed that uh, song, and and still enjoy that song. But I couldn't tell you a single other thing that happens in Eurotrip. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with that thing you do, which I know a lot of people love that movie. But I feel yeah. like that's a film that I I still like the song. It's like the a perfect movie song that that has really like crossed over and actually played on you know like pop radio stations for years and i guess probably still does now uh but i I feel like that's a movie that has like i don't know two or three really good scenes and it's not necessarily a great movie overall but the the highs in that movie are really high including that song no i i agree with you on that one uh that that song's like one of those songs that like once you hear it it's like stuck in your head for the rest of the day yeah our next email comes from Tyler K. I, I had said a couple weeks ago that I wish that there was a uh, zombie movie where all the babies in the world just all of a sudden become zombies. Uh, we have mentioned before a couple people wrote in uh, with some suggestions where uh, they had zombie children. Tyler K. writes in that he would like to mention Peter Jackson's uh, Brain Dead, one of his early films, which features an 
quote-unquote awesome zombie baby. Uh, without getting into spoilers, there's a scene with the baby in a blender that is just spectacular and even a little bit cathartic. Um, not to say I'm sadistic or twisted. It makes sense if you watch the movie. Uh, I haven't seen this movie in many years. I, I, Chris, I'm assuming you have seen this film. I have, but I, I don't think I've seen it since like high, high school, maybe even early. I remember renting it from a video store. So that's how long ago it was when I saw this. Yeah. I'm not sure if I asked you this, Chris, but uh, I think you were on the original podcast that I brought this up. But zombie kids, are you, you pro or against? I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm against. I'm I'm kind of burned out on the zombie subgenre as a whole. Like, I'd be fine if there were no more zombie films for the next 10 years, but I'm not, I, I think there's, there's certainly room there for uh zombie kids. <laughs> um, some people just don't want to see a movie where like kids are like, you know, the villains in a horror movie. Um, but yeah, uh, let's move on to our, but why kids are, are nightmares. <laughs> Have you ever seen a child? They're just awful. They, they scream. They're terrible. No one, <laughs> we have lost half of our listenership for that one okay anthony c writes in uh he wanted to get our opinion on uh our job as film journalists uh he wants to know if uh you need a college degree or cinema studies background in in order to work in the world of film journalism also is there a beginner's guide on how to make an entrance into the film writing community uh he is going to school now ultimately the degree he's going for is not involving film but he wants to know uh you know will that look bad on if he wants to get into film writing so uh, i thought i would uh, start with you guys chris uh what advice do you have for someone who wants to get into film writing uh don't do it turn back now um but if you if you really want to do someone it, who quit his job or his, his like day job to write about movies, a, I'm mostly kidding. If you, if you really want to do it, you know, don't give up. But um, I, you know, there's no like secret. I like I wish I wish there was like a you know a, a, a trade secret that I could just tell you and you would immediately you know be doing the job. Really, it's just you have to just do it like i spent a long long time writing and writing and writing for you know no one pretty much and you know it, it eventually paid off but it took a long time and there was you know time where i wanted to just give up and say like you know screw this i'm not going anywhere but you know it, it eventually worked out and i'm i'm thrilled it did but there's going to be times where you get frustrated um as far as like learning it, I would just advise just reading other writers, reading other film critics. Like that's that's really the best way to learn. Like you know, I, growing up, I would just constantly read, uh, you know, like Roger Ebert. He was my go-to guy, and you know, that's how you learn to, you know, you you learn by seeing other people do the job basically, and that that's how, that's how I you know got into it. Yeah, every year I used to buy that huge like Bible-sized Ebert guide of like I think it had all of his reviews from that year in movies, and I I would love just spending days and days reading through those re reviews. Um, 
Chris, what, what do you have to say about uh, college degree in, in cinema studies? You know, I, I don't want to say it's not worth it because, you know, so, some people get a lot out of college. I don't have a degree in it. I, I went to college for journalism, not really film studies. So, you know, it's it's like a different thing. I uh, But there's a lot of people who do this who don't have a degree in it. So it's not like a requirement, I would say. Ben, what is your tell our listeners your background? Uh, yeah, I'm, I also have a, a journalism degree. Um, I went to school really to get into more of the production side and then fell in love with writing sort of along the way. And I very much like Chris just wrote and wrote and wrote. I, I started my own blog that like maybe one of my friends read and that was it. And I, you know, I, I kept that going for a long time and then would just send samples from that to other uh, sites when I was trying to apply for jobs, whenever there were openings I, I saw on the movie blogs that I loved. So I mean, it, it's a it's a grind for sure. And it's not a career where you're going to make a lot of money. So uh, like Chris said, I mean, Chris was joking earlier when he said, turn back now and don't do it. But I, I mean, I think there, there's really some wisdom there. It, it's, it's like only if you are the type of person who um, you're going to be you're you're compelled you have a compulsion to write about movies and and like a an addiction and a, and a hardcore passion for it. Um, only those people, I think, are going to be the ones who are able to sort of sustain uh, the the long road toward getting um, you know you know getting a, a full time employment or or anything like anything approaching that because um, you know there's a lot of freelancers out there that it's 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 a tough business to get into I mean the the economics of this uh, profession are not exactly in an ideal position right now so you know th- there's a lot of factors to consider and if anybody is just sort of like huh, yeah, I wonder if I could do something like this. If you're, if you're uh, like, if there's any part of you that is um, thinking about pulling the ripcord and doing something else, listen to that part of you is what yeah. I would say. Um, but uh, for those who are, yeah, you know, only, intent- only do this if you can't not do this. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, that's a much more succinct way of putting it. But uh, yeah, I think um, for anybody who, who has that itch and, and just refuses to give up, I, I would just say, I would echo Chris's sentiment of just, you know, even if like people don't really blog anymore on, you know, Blogspot or, or whatever WordPress and, you know, well, well, but I probably like, on like medium or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say find something like that, even if it's your own site, even if nobody reads it and just do it over and over and over again, because um, it's really like the idea of reading everything that you can and writing as much as possible is the only way that you're going to get better. So uh, once you get to that point, maybe you can start sending your stuff around and, um, and, and yeah, just maybe sort of like parlay it into something. That's, that's basically, there is no uh, career trajectory path to get into this industry. So it's, it's sort of everyone takes this weird circuitous route to, to get, to end up where they are. And I want to add, um, I want to add, like, I want to stress this, this, this job really is work. Like a lot of times I tell people, you know, I, I write about movies for a living and they think it's like, oh, that must be fun. And, you know, oh, it's you get fun. to go to the movies for free and you get sent, uh, you know, DVDs and, and Blu-rays right, yeah. and whatever. Everyone... And it's like they don't realize <laughs> that when you go to see the movies, first of all, you're spending like what? Uh, some time to get there early, whatever. You're spending four hours of your life. Then you have to write the review, which uh, in my terms takes a few hours. Uh, you yeah. guys are a lot faster at it because you're 
better at it. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of people they only think of it in terms of the perks, and it's a lot of work. Like I'm, even when I'm not working, you know, on at the news desk on Flash Film, I'm all pretty much always working. Like you know, I, I have like two hours where I you know say hello to my wife, and then I come back to my computer, and I'm just pounding away on you know features and stuff like that. And you know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm complaining because this is, I would. You know, I, I spent a long time working a shitty office job and I would I never want to go back to that. Like, this is the work I want to do, but it, it is work. Like, don't expect it to be like, you know, uh, something it's like it's not like something you blow off. You actually have to work at it. And you also have to write about stuff. If you want to make a living off it, you have to write about stuff that you might not be enthusiastic about writing about. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I would say, for, for, from my standpoint, first of all, I uh, have a high school diploma. I, I went to, I took some college classes, but I don't have a college degree. I started slash film, so that I mean, I guess proves to you, you don't need to go to college. Not that I'm recommending not going to college, but I will say this: as someone who runs a film site and who you know, we hire freelancers on a regular basis. We you know have a lot of full time employees. Uh, Never once when someone uh, applied and sent in their resume that I look at, oh, what school did they go to? What did they learn at the school? Uh, my primary uh, thing was seeing, you know, do they have any experience? Have they written for any previous sites? Do they uh, do they have samples? Have they sent samples? Are the samples good? Are the samples of not just reviews but of stuff that, like um, – you know, would get, would interest people, would, like, you know, it would be, uh, you'd be surprised that, like, you know, uh, I know a lot of people like to uh, make fun of top 10 lists, top 10 lists, uh, you know, do good, great traffic on sites. We don't run a lot of top 10 lists, but uh, you'd be surprised at how many people apply to Slash Film that don't send in a top 10 list as their, like, you know, coverage. Because I, I think as an editor of a film site that, like, looks for those kind of things and reviews don't necessarily get the the most hits especially for films that are not the big tentpole films uh you know look for more creative ways to present your film writing and uh you know always give coverage like literally i don't even remember <laughs> looking at the chris's or ben's resume what you know it was a conversation it was uh you know ben i had read a lot of his work on um geek tyrant uh mm-hmm. chris uh, i'd read a lot of your work around the the web uh i i do think that a lot of people say they want to get into this and then they just start applying everywhere and like I've, I've had a lot of people that don't even have coverage of anything they're just like yeah I'm a good writer and I want to write about film like I think the best way to get into this is I think what you said Ben is to you know do it uh, you know open up a blog uh, you know open up a medium account or whatever and start writing but also don't just write um, you know typical stuff write stuff that's intro interesting uh, thought-provoking, um, stuff that's clicky, um, you know, show these sites that you want to work for what you're capable of. Uh, everybody has, everybody that sees a movie has an opinion about it. Uh, I mean, and then maybe like 10% of those people probably can coherently write their opinion. 
but uh, very few people can present it in a way that people actually want to read their opinion. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's my suggestion to you. Oh, uh, there's th- one more thing, Peter, yeah. uh, in terms of, in, uh, in addition to being versatile and being able to cover a lot of different ground as a writer, I would also suggest for people, especially when they're sort of up and coming is to try to find like a specialty that other people don't really do. And that way you can make yourself, um, you know, like like indispensable at, at if you have a, a specialty and you become known as the person who writes about this aspect of things and you can sort of, you know, if, if you put in your 10,000 hours or whatever um, w- with a focus on in one particular area that can be a big asset later on when you, you know, are trying to present your work elsewhere. You can say, you know, I've written a lot about this particular subject and that way you might be able to go around to a bunch of different outlets um, and, and sort of pitch your work that way. For sure. And actually the last thing I would give for advice is someone's not going to come and find you. You know, you're, you're writing on this blog spot, you're doing a podcast or, or whatever you're doing. Someone's not going to discover you. I've, I've never heard that story actually happen. Uh, you need to go out and you need to make it happen. You need to network. You need to, you know, send your resume and work around. You uh, don't be annoying about it. Don't, you know, keep on following up. You know, a lot of these sites have a staff and when it's fully staffed, it's fully staffed and uh, it's hard to, to uh, get in there. But uh, I will say with freelancers, you know, people pitch, we have freelancers pitching us every day uh, articles and, you know, it, it it's it's usually the the take uh you know you you have to come up with an interesting uh angle on things and uh, i think a lot of people don't uh when you start getting into this don't think about it from that uh perspective but uh yeah anyways don't take our advice about it like uh you know go to school I'm not saying not not to go to school, um, but uh, certainly I, I I don't know anybody honestly who was hired because it's like, oh, he got a degree in you know film criticism from from NYU. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not what the the employer of a film site is gonna or a film newspaper or film magazine is, is gonna look look at. They're looking at the coverage and what your experience and uh, what you're capable of. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Ben, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. Chris, where can we find you? Uh, also SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at slashfilm.com, and your email could end up in the mailbag. Uh, Please leave your general geographic location in your name in case we mention the email on the air. Uh, Go to our iTunes page. Give us a glowing five-star review. That helps us out quite a bit. Spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday. You guys don't think that was like overboard with the whole job advice thing? No, that was good. I like that. Okay. People should ask us for more advice. Let's just make this an advice show. (laughs) Right in. Yes. (laughs) Yes. If you have, if if you need advice from Chris. Yes, please. (laughs) That should be our new segment. I give advice every episode.
<laughs> and we have like a like a, a sound bumper where it's like advice corner with Chris. <laughs> <Evangelism."> <laughs> <laughs>